Find out what the whole world is thinking in the agenda. This week on the agenda, the green transition as the world's biggest energy summit takes place in Abu Dhabi. Are we ready for a post-carbon world? This week, energy ministers and experts from around the world gathered in the United Arab Emirates for the Abu Dhabi International Progressive Energy Congress, or ADIPEC. As climate change catastrophes continue to hit the headlines, the transition to a greener future was, of course, top of the agenda. Well, with me now is the Director General of the International Renewable Energy Agency, Francesco La Camera. But I wonder how far off track do you think the global clean energy transition is? Uh, we made this very clear. So last year was a record year of new renewable installation capacity, was almost 300 gigawatts. But if you want to stay in a pathway that is consistent with the achievement of the 1.5 Celsius goal of the Paris Agreement, we have to scale up to 1,000 gigawatts per year. So we have to triple the installer capacity of renewables every year. We need to have uh, 11,000 gigawatts of renewable installer capacity by 2030. Today, we have 3,000 gigawatts of renewable installer capacity. Just to make clear, this is uh, a way to translate in a different language, in terms of gigawatt, the goal of the 43% of reduction of CO2 emission that is uh, in the 1.5 report of the International Panel on Climate Change. So to get back on track, let's talk, talk about how to do it and innovation. That, that's the buzzword, um, isn't it? But I wonder, you know, what, what does that mean? What ideas would you like to see turned into action? As Arena, we are trying to propose a new narrative. So what we think is that we, if we want to speed up and scale up the transition, we need to overcome existing barriers. We have identified three main barriers. One is the physical infrastructure. We need grids that are interconnected, flexible, and balanced. We need sea grid, sea routes, trade routes that take into account the new system supporting the new system that is coming. We need policies. They design the new demand of uh, in the market. Policy of the market design that are consistent for and facilitating the more renewable energy into the market. We talk about permitting, we talk about eliminating the subsidies, etc. And then we have also to enhance the institutional capacity. We have to train the skilled workforce that we need for putting more renewables into the ground. And where in particular do you see scope for, for more global partnerships? I think that uh, there is this common sense that we have to act together. Here we have a private sector, this year, as, as a government, discussing how this could be, could be possible. So we have also efforts in terms of financing. We also, as, as a, a arena, we have... Uh, uh, we are implementing a new platform for investment and we are already successful in facilitating investing in Central Asia and Africa. So all we are trying to set 
concrete action, concrete deliverable that will follow up the COP28. If we need to decarbonise faster, who, where is at risk of being left behind? Oh, that's important question that we pose. Naturally, we always say that this transition should be just. What does it mean to be just? Not just to replace uh, a provider for new job for the ones that are losing job in the old energy system. Just transition means using renewables, using the new technologies for adding at the end of this travel a less unjust and fairer world. So just transition means to transit for an equal world for a world that is more equal. Where do you think really needs to, to go faster and at scale? You know, which industries are we talking about? Is it buildings? Is it transport? Because those sectors are so big, it's hard to know where to start, where you'll make a dent in it. So naturally, the question is not to, to start from sector to the others, but acting on all the sector. Naturally, uh, we have been uh, familiar with the work of Arena. We are insisting on the electrification of the new sector. So the heavy industries, uh, transport, building, as one of the priorities. We have identified hydrogen as a, a useful tool for decarbonizing the heavy industry sector. So there are policies that can be tailored in the different uh, reality. We have launched an initiative on Africa because Africa is important because now it's not contributing uh, largely to the, to the climate, uh, but Africa is to grow. So we have to put development and the new energy, uh, energy system together as this in Southeast Asia. So we have to, to move holistically and try to find the right measures for uh, providing for a rapid decarbonization of the sector. For example, for energy, the uh, fight, the elimination, the eliminate methane. Methane is one of the of the uh, things that we have to do faster, and and so on and so on. But price and costs that that, that continues to, to be a big issue, um, especially when it comes to how committed and to how fast the shift to renewable energy will be. How and when do you see that changing? You know, that's what we've seen also looking at the COP28 is the more closer attention to the action instead of the pure negotiation that was a typical element of all the COP until now. We have seen the presidency looking at the financial uh, aspects. We have seen a, a, a holistic approach to all this. Arena, together with uh, UAE, Germany, Denmark, we have launched this African partnership with 10 African countries about to go 100% renewables. So we see that the movement is there. The, the, the efforts are trying to, to be better coordinated. And we think, and we hope, that the COP28 will set the action framework for speeding the scale of the transition. China's President Xi Jinping um, promised a shift towards greener overseas energy investments. I, I wonder where you see China's role in scaling up renewable energy. You know, China has a, an incredible role in pushing the world transition, providing panel at low cost with technologies and data. And just to give you a number, China in the first six months of this year has installed the same renewable capacity that's installed in all uh, last year. 
40, more than 40% of jobs and renewables are in China. So the role of, uh, uh, of China cannot be questioned. It is a lead, is leading in the energy transition. I would think that uh, also in this new phase, the ambition of, uh, of China to be pushing the world uh, towards uh, speeding the scale of the transition. Francesco La Camera, thank you. Thanks a lot. The green transition is key for many of the world's smaller nations who suffer from some of the worst effects of climate change while contributing little to global emissions. So what more can be done to help the developing world? Joining me now is the Minister for Energy and Business Development for Barbados, Senator the Honourable Lisa Cummins. Thanks for coming on the agenda. Um, what do you hope to get out of this gathering at ADIPEC? We're really hoping to be able to continue the process of building partnerships and relationships, but also facilitating the engagement around the key issues that are affecting the green energy transition, in particular for small countries like Barbados. We have uh, a number of challenges that we're navigating. Prime Minister Motley has been on the global stage speaking to the issues of financing overall and how that has tied into the climate crisis. But here at ADIPEC, we are having a dedicated conversation around the energy transition, how the renewable energy goals that are being set by countries like ours coincide with the work that is being done now that wasn't done perhaps before with the oil companies getting the energy industry, the traditional fossil fuel-based energy industry on board with a renewable energy uh, transition and specifically adding the, con the conversation around decarbonization to the global conversation. And that's been critical. And we're having those conversations here at ADIPEC. There has been a lot of discussion at ADIPEC about further investment in oil and, and in gas. I mean, does that concern you or do you think that really is still necessary? That's a conversation that the oil companies are having, and that's important, I'm, I'm sure, for many countries to have that conversation, especially as we deal with the questions of equity and access, and in particular in poorer countries. In the case of Barbados, we have an ambition for net zero um, in terms of our transition. We are pushing forward with a renewable energy agenda. We accept that fossil fuels will be around in some form along the way. What is important for us is to have the investment in the renewables. And what are the renewables that are important to us? Solar, onshore wind, offshore wind, hydrogen is a huge area of opportunity for us in particular in the small island developing states of the Caribbean. We want to be able to see more investment in those areas as well. So financing is important, yes, but what are we financing? We also, for the energy transition, need to finance access to the products, the technology and the services that are critical yeah. to be able to build a renewable energy transition for small, small economies. That's important to us. Let's talk about your goals, about Barbados's goals, because earlier this year um, it was reported that Barbados's plans to be 100% carbon neutral by 2030 were being hampered by just those things, financing, access and supply delays. Is that still the case? If it is, how long is it going to last? It's absolutely the reality that we're facing. So, for example, during the pandemic, we continue to pace our target. I know many countries have a 2050 target, a 2035 target. Barbados has a 2030 target. And so we have seven years in our transition plan that we are working through now. So we had to undertake during the course of this, this year, earlier this year, we launched an assessment of where exactly we are. And what are some of the challenges that we were facing that we needed to mitigate against and we need to solve for? And one of the key issues, as you mentioned, was a supply chain. So, for example, we have a challenge of adding storage into the mix, battery storage in particular. 
we had a supply chain and we still have a supply chain issue, 18 to 24 months wait time because of issues on the global supply chain on the manufacturing side and then on the logistics side to add storage to our mix. We've had issues for those that have already gone past a certain point with their projects to be able to secure transformers, synchronous condensers, inverters. Those are things that have plagued Barbados and countries like ours who are not the manufacturers, who are not the location where assembly plants are based. And we have had to wait in many instances behind larger economies because there are, their volumes are larger, their orders are larger. And so we get kicked to the back of the queue while our transition goals have a much higher level of ambition in terms of timeline. So those things are very much still affecting us, but are we going to retreat from the goals that we have set for ourselves? Absolutely not. Our prime minister has been advocating, as you know, for the Bridgetown Initiative, that's on the financing side. We've been advocating for the reform of the international financial institutions to ensure we have access to capital, patient capital at affordable rates. Yeah. We're advocating for that. And on our side, for the energy team, that's why fora like this here in Adepec really become even more important so that our voices get heard right alongside larger, more advanced economies. You mentioned there that countries like yours being pushed to, to the back of the queue. So do, does the, the world's smaller nations like Barbados get enough help with the green transition? Arguably, the, the answer to that is immediately no. We don't get enough support in the energy transition that we're advocating for. But in so many other areas, and globally in international relations, international development policy, international economic policy, there is a, a constant theme all the time that we're not being heard to the extent that we want to be heard. But we can't step away from the table and we're not going to step away from the table. And so that's why you will see the countries of the Caribbean, the small island developing states in all of our groups and the African group as well, making sure that we are present, we're sitting at the table, we're part of the policy development process and we're advocating in every possible forum to ensure that our needs are not just heard, but that they're met. Countries like yours have very little to do with the causes of, of climate change. Absolutely. But, they, but you face the brunt of some of that extreme weather and those big weather events. So what needs to be done to address that? So Prime Minister Motley, for, for example, she's been talking about the road to COP28. And one of the things that she has been very clear on, we do not have the time, I think this was a point that was made in Glasgow, she continued it in Sharm el-Sheikh, yeah. and it will continue, no doubt, to Abu Dhabi, to Dubai, in just a few weeks. This is no longer the time for promises. It's a time for action. We have to be able to have clear, actionable outcomes coming out of COP. And why? We have temperatures, certainly across Barbados, we've seen our hottest day in the history in Barbados over the last week. We've seen that happening in other economies as well. So the fact that we need to make changes at 1.5 to stay alive that we've been talking about since Glasgow is a reality. And so, yes, we have to make those changes now. We have to make sure that the multilateral fora that we're a part of, that they're committing to the things that are critical and are necessary for countries like ours. So the energy transition is intimately connected very much into the climate conversation and the work that is being done here in Adepec, in the, in the international agencies with responsibility for the energy, but also critically on the climate side in terms of reducing carbon emissions and reducing our footprint. Senator Lisa Cummings, thank you very much. Thank you so much. Still to come here on the agenda, is COP28 the world's last chance to save the planet? We'll speak to the UAE's energy minister to find out.
Climate Watch is CGTN Radio's new podcast focusing on the impact of climate change. We have conversations with people on the front line about this critical issue. Listen to Climate Watch on all major podcast platforms and join us in taking action to save the planet we call home. Welcome back to the agenda. The Adipec gathering, as we've heard, is serving as something of a prelude to the UAE's hosting the UN Climate Change Conference COP28 from the end of November. With me now is the Energy Minister of the United Arab Emirates, His Excellency Sohel Mohammed Faraj al-Mazrouhi. You're going to be the host of COP28 later this year. What are you hoping to achieve? Well, first of all, what we are hoping to achieve is to bring a more inclusive uh, group of governments as we are uh, putting uh, a, uh, in front of them a proposal to work together on something that is tangible and measurable. And what we are aiming for is to triple the capacity of renewable energy worldwide. And that's something that we have committed to this summer with our uh, first update of our energy strategy 2050, the UAE have committed to triple the capacity of renewable energy by the year 2030, and uh, as well to produce a, uh, the fuel of the future, which is hydrogen, uh, at, a rate, at, at a capacity of 1.4 million tonnes. That is going to be uh, feeding some of the high emission uh, uh, industrial sites in the UAE. It's interesting that you, you talk about wanting there to be some tangible um, results. How are you going to ensure that? I think we have more chance now as uh, the world is, uh, is seeing the, uh, the climate change effects. It's not a uh, it's not an opinion. It's not a myth. It's something that we are seeing and we need to address. Uh, we are optimistic. For example, the uh, in the oil and gas sector, the commitment that we have seen here in Adipic from the oil and gas companies uh, give us uh, some assurance that everyone is keen to do their best to reduce emissions. Some of the technologies that as well we are seeing in capturing and uh, CO2 and using it as a product rather than just dispose of it underground, give us hope that more large-scale projects we, uh, we will see in different parts of the world. Of course, one of the major ch challenges is the financing. And we are hoping that the commitment from the major uh, economies uh, is going to be there to finance the transition in many parts of the world. I wonder also um, about the, the location, because some critics have said, you know, it's a strange place to host a, a climate conference, isn't it? We're a place with so many ties to, to fossil fuels. What do you say to that? Well, uh, what, I, what I say to that, that during transi transition, we will need uh, the existing baseload energies. And those are happen to be that big chunk of that, whether we like it or not, is fossil fuel. So now the challenge is to keep producing the required volumes 
during the transition so we can transit at a cost that is uh, allowing the transition to happen. If the resources are not available, uh, be it gas, be it oil, then we will not be transitioning swiftly uh, to, the, to the 2050 targets of net zero. And the UAE is trying to work on a dual uh, track. One is to show the world and show the region here what we are doing to our energy mix. We are transitioning by 2030, 30% of our energy mix will be clean by 2035, 38%. And we are committing to uh, net zero by 2050. But at the same time, we have a requirements to invest in bringing resources to ensure that the, the, uh, the reliable sources of, <clears throat> of energy are there. And the UAE is investing to increase its production to 5 million barrels by 20 by 20, uh, 27 to ensure that we don't see, uh, uh, I mean, hikes in the prices that will hurt consumers in the developing nations, and it will hurt also or hinder the pace of transition. So you've talked about countries' co commitments there, and yours in particular, but what about the role of business? Because the president delegate of COP28, Sultan Al-Jaber, he said that oil and gas companies have got to be central to the solution of fighting climate change. So how's that going to happen? How's it going to work? Well, as I mentioned, I mean, at the beginning of Adepic, we took a commitment from the major uh, IOCs and NOCs to, uh, to stop uh, or, or eliminate uh, the methane production. And we have seen uh, an unprecedented support for that initiative. Uh, for example, our national oil company have, uh, as a country, we are committing to net zero by, 20, by 2050. But ADNOC have decided to go with a net zero by 2045. Uh, and and, and that's, that's a commitment. Uh, our national oil company today have signed uh, this year to go to to stop all of the power generation from fossil and use uh, clean energy sources to all to to power all of its operation. So we are producing relatively the cleanest barrel in the world, and I think there is a potential that uh, the other companies can do the same. And by doing that, we are uh, reducing significantly the carbon footprint from this industry. This industry have uh, enormous engineering skills. It has enormous services. And I think the talent in the young people that we have seen in Adibic Awards, for example, showing us companies from all over the world doing R&D and utilizing the, the, uh, the CO2 and, and use it in terms of just disposing of it underground. All of these from coming from the oil and gas companies. And uh, I am hopeful that uh, more interaction with the oil and gas companies will lead to a swifter and a fair and just transition. So looking ahead to, to COP28, if there was one message that you have to all of those who's going to be gathering there, what's that message going to be? 
Well, the message is we need, we need uh, consolidation, we need solidarity, and we need to think that everyone or every industry matters. Every industry needs to come forward with their plans. And my message to the governments and to the ministers, come up with a long-term strategies. Don't come up with a five years, it doesn't help. If we are serious about the climate change, we need to put strategies and we need to ensure that the consumers are in the center of those strategies. Your Excellency, thank you very much. Thank you. Coming up on a future agenda, cultural collaboration. We'll speak to Oscar-winning Chinese artist, Tim Yip. But for now, from me, Juliet Mann, and from all the Agenda team here in London, goodbye.